welcome to Faith, everybody. If we haven't met, my name is Mike. I am one of the pastors on staff here. And it's great to have you with us in person today. Great to have you with us online today. Um, and it's it just, as you know, Laura's talking about some different things that are coming up. Uh, if you are new here at Faith, we're going to be doing an event called Newcomer's Lunch. This is going to take place on Sunday the 21st, so that's two Sundays from now. And what we do is try and get a bunch of new people in the room and help new people meet new people. Uh, we feed you some food. We talk a little bit about, hey, this is what the church is all about, so you know you're not getting tangled up with some crazy cults. And then just talk about some other ways you can get connected. And so if you are new, we would love to have you join us. We just need to know you're coming, and so you can tell us, you know, how many do you have kids so we have enough food, and we do child care for that. And you just put it right on your connection card. And um, again, we'd love to have you join us. But uh, we are getting towards the end of a series uh, that we have entitled Finding Happiness. And uh, in this series, we have been wrestling with a question, and that question being, um, why is it that so many people want to be happy, and so few truly are? Why is it that, you know, most of the people you know in your life want to be happy, and yet when you think about who do I know who is truly happy, that, that second number is always less than the first. And then this series, we've been making the argument that oftentimes it's because we look for happiness in the wrong places. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how hard I look, how long I look, if I'm looking in the wrong place, I'm not going to find the thing I'm looking for there. And so rather than look in the same you know, old, worn-out spots that don't deliver lasting happiness, in this series, each week we've looked to a different internal practice that the Bible would point us to where the Bible saying goes, hey, if you're looking for joy, if you're looking for gladness, if you're looking for happiness, this is where you'll find it. So today we're, we're going to continue in that. We're going to look at another internal practice. But before we get to today's practice, we're going to take a minute and pray and invite God to be part of this with us. So if you would, let's pray together. Father, just as uh, we pray today, I am uh, reminded that there is a time and a season for everything. Time to live and a time to die. And just today, we want to lift up to you uh, Carol Schwartz, who is back home from the hospital after having a stroke and who is unresponsive and who's receiving hospice care right now. Father, we pray for your hand of mercy on her, that you would keep her comfortable and uh, pain-free until she goes home to be with you. Father, we want to pray for Corey and Laura Vorman, who even now are in the hospital as she's uh, in labor, and they're going to be celebrating the birth of their first child. We just pray that that would go smoothly, that you would bless that child. Um, Father, I pray they name it after me. Um, just, just watch over them, please. And Father, just as, as we take time and, and just consider another internal practice, make our hearts and our minds receptive to you and to your truth. Um, even if we've been taught other things all our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, each week we've talked about different internal practice that helps you find lasting happiness. And, and if you're really astute, you, you may have noticed a thread, a, a common theme that runs through each one of, of these internal practices. 
And if, and if, you know, if you did notice that, you may be sitting there and you're kind of smug right now. And if you didn't notice that and you're, you're kind of panicking because you're like, oh no, this means I'm not smart and I'm not like astute and I didn't notice these. Don't panic, all right? It's, it's actually um, something that you, it'd be difficult to pick up on if somebody didn't point it out to you and that person that looks next to you that's all smug, they, they don't know. They're just trying to look like they know. So, um, but there's, there's a common theme that every one of these has. And the Apostle Paul kind of highlights this theme for us in something he wrote in Galatians. In the book of Galatians, Paul, Paul writes this. He says, um, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from their flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, one of the things that Paul is getting after here is something that we're going to refer to today as the law of the harvest. And the law of the harvest is teaching us that in life, we are forever sowing. We are forever making decisions. We're ever living in in particular directions. And those decisions, that sowing, those directions, they lead to outcomes in our lives. And sometimes the outcomes, you know, they're not good. We can reap a harvest of destruction. Other times the outcomes are desirable. We will reap a a harvest of life. Now, here's one of the the troubles with the law of the harvest. Um, The harvest takes time. It doesn't come immediately. Like, when we get this in regular life, like come spring, I go out in my backyard, I plant a seed in my garden on Monday. I'm not picking tomatoes on Tuesday. It doesn't work like that. It takes time for that seed to sprout and the plant to grow and the fruit to bear and ripen and all those kind of things. The law of the harvest in our lives works the same way, which can, it can get us into trouble. Like, like for example, we, we can be doing things that, that, that the scriptures tell us you shouldn't do this, that other people around us will say, hey, don't do that with your life. And we can think, well, I'm not experiencing anything bad because of that. I'm sowing in this direction. People tell me I shouldn't sow in, and I haven't reaped any harvest of destruction. They don't know what they're talking about. They're a bunch of killjoys, and they're out to ruin my fun, and I'm just going to live my life this way because clearly I am the exception to the rule. And the trouble with that is if we keep sowing in that direction, even though the harvest may take weeks, months, years, sometimes decades, it will come. And when I've sown long enough to my flesh and that harvest of destruction comes, it's not pretty. Oftentimes it's devastating. And and again, it takes time even when I'm sowing in the right direction. So I can do things that the scriptures tell me that I should do and I can do things that people around church say, hey, you should live this way and not immediately experience those results. And it's easy to kind of get despondent about that and, and be like, well, I'm doing everything they tell me I should do and it doesn't seem to make a positive difference in my life. And so we give up and we quit before that harvest of life comes in. Now, we mention this today because the, the common theme that every one of these internal practices that we've talked about in this series, the, the theme that they have in common is the law of the harvest applies to all of them. Every one of these internal practices, these are things that we, we need to sow in. That we need to live in faithfully over time. See, when it comes to happiness in our lives, without even realizing it, 
we can sow our way into unhappiness. And when that harvest of destruction comes pouring in, it's like, how did I get here? It's because I sowed my way there. And because of the law of the harvest, we can't just instantaneously, overnight, sow our way into happiness. There there are no silver bullet, quick fix, microwave, drive-through, on-demand happiness options. Now, I realize that's not popular in our culture today. Nonetheless, it's true. But here's the good news. We all get to decide. We get to choose what way we're going to sow. We, we, we have direct influence over the degree of gladness and joy and happiness that we, that we experience in life based on where we are sowing faithfully and consistently. Now, while this applies to every one of the practices we've talked about, you could argue that it is most applicable to the one we're talking about today. See, today we're talking about happiness and money. Who's glad they came to church today, right? (laughs) You're like, oh my goodness, I could have stayed home and watched Stephen Furtick or something, right? Um, But we're talking about money and happiness because here's the deal. Happiness and money, we'll ask you a dicey question here at church today, all right? Who'd be willing to admit right here in church, you believe there's a connection between money and happiness? Some of you are like, I don't want to be the only one, right? You know, they put it, I'll put it up. See, I think it's more people that put their hands up, right? And, and, and see, here's the thing. You know people who are incredibly unhappy. And when you think about why, I'll bet you for some of those folks, money's one of the reasons. And you know people, they seem really happy. And if you're being honest, you're like, well, I can't admit it at church. But if you're being honest, you're like, I think that money is probably part of that. See, I would contend that there is a connection between money and happiness. And, and there's one that more of us are willing to admit, you know, than who will raise our hands. But it's out there. I will not stand up here today and tell you there's no connection between money and happiness. And you're like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. You're like, but but all my life, I've had preachers tell me, you know, they're like, hey, money won't make you happy. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Try me. (laughs) There's a test. I'll take it, you know. You know, you you listen to preachers tell you, you know, hey, you, 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 you can't buy happiness with money. You know, money won't, money won't buy you happiness. And you're like, well, okay, maybe it won't, but it'll buy me a shiny red Tesla to go looking for it in, you know? Like, <laughs> we sense there's a connection between these two things. And here's the deal. Jesus talks about money a lot. And Jesus, as he speaks about money, he makes a connection between money and happiness. It's just that Jesus makes a connection between money and happiness in a different place than we are often told where that connection is made. See, all our lives we've been told there's a connection between money and happiness, and it's found in this word right here, more. You you pick up a, a magazine, you open a book, you turn on the radio, you turn on TV, you jump online, you jump on social. The, the message is, is consistently the same when it comes to money and happiness. And the message is, more money will make you more happy. 
More money will make you more happy. There's a connection between money and happiness, and it's at more. And while I don't think this is where the connection is, I think Jesus makes the connection between money and happiness, but in a different place. All kinds of, we have been told this for so long that either subconsciously we believe it, or some of us were just like, I, I want to admit it at church, but yeah, more money and make me more happy. And when we believe this, here's what happens. We sow in this direction. Our decisions, the direction that our life takes, the things that we do reflects this idea that more money will make us more happy. And there's a harvest that comes with sowing in this direction. Now again, I, I think there's a connection between money and happiness. I think Jesus puts it somewhere else. But before we look at where Jesus makes the connection between money and happiness, I just want to kind of dig into this a little bit more. Because right, I don't think this is correct. But again, we've been told this for so long, it's, it's easy to fall into this mindset. So here's the follow-up question. If more money will make you more happy, then how much more money do you need to be happy? Like if more is the secret, well then uh, how much more will get you there? Or, or let, let me reframe the question this way. Because at the beginning of the series, we, we talked about how you know, peace is one of those internal practices that, that happy people tend to be peaceful people. They have peace with themselves and peace with others. And most importantly, they have peace with God. So how much more money would you need to have in order to be at peace? How much more money would you need to no matter what's going on in my life, I have peace because I got enough money. Kids are going off the rails, right? Then you get your, your, your bank statement and you're like, I have peace. Marriage is swirling the drain. But you look at your stock options, you're like, oh, I've got peace. Who cares about COVID? Depression, anxiety. Have you seen my net worth? I have peace. If more money is what you need to be happy, how much more money would you need to have to be at peace or to be happy? Now, the answer is just about the same for all of us. You ready? Here it is. More than you currently have. How much more do I need in order to be happy? More than I got now. Now, if this is true, then just stop and think for a minute. If more money makes you more happy, and how much more do you need to be happy, more than I've got now, then why is it that you know people who have more money than you do, and they're not happy? I bet you every one of us, we can think of people that we know personally, or people who we know in the public eye, who have way more money than we have, and they're not happy. Or if you really want to mess with your mind a little bit, I'll bet you, all kinds of us, we know people who have less money than we do, and they're happier than we are. If more money is what I need to be happy, then how in the world does somebody who has less money than I do, how can they be happier than I am? It's, it's because there is a connection between money and happiness. It's not found at more. It's found in another M word. It's found in manage. Manage. It's not how much money, how much more money I have that's going to make me happy. It's how I manage the money that I currently have. 
It's, it's about keeping, it's about being sure I'm managing my money and not letting my money manage me. Now, again, I, I would contend Jesus makes a connection between money and happiness. And I think Jesus makes a connection at management instead of at more. And so we're going to look at something. I mean, Jesus taught a lot about money. We're going to look at one passage that Jesus talked about money where I think Jesus makes this connection. So here, here's how Jesus starts off. He says, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. So as, as Jesus begins, he's like, listen, you can't have two controlling factors in your life. You can't have, you know, two someones or somethings that occupy that place of first importance in your life that sit on the throne of your heart. You know, you can have two somethings that you turn to to fulfill. You can't have two somethings that you, you're going to sacrifice everything else for. It doesn't work. You can't have two number ones. You can only have one number one. You can't, you can't serve two masters, Jesus says. And then as Jesus continues, he kind of uses some drastic language. You're like, ooh, slow down, Jesus. That's strong. Those are strong words. He says, listen, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then, in, and then what Jesus says next, Jesus will identify the two chief competitors for that place of first importance in our lives. And if you didn't grow up around church, if you don't know this passage so well that you can't fill in the rest of it yourself, if you, were, if you were hearing it for the first time, what Jesus says next would kind of make you stop and go, wait a minute, those, those two? See, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. And then Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. See, in the mind of Jesus, the chief two competitors for that place of first importance in our lives are God and money. And Jesus, Jesus would have God occupy that place of first importance in our lives. And Jesus is letting us know that the chief competitor with God for that place of first importance in your life and mine is money. Now, again, if you didn't grow up reading the Bible, if you didn't grow up around church and you, didn't, you, know, you haven't read this passage before, and, and I was to say to you, okay, what's the chief competitor you know, going to be with God in your life? You know, what, what's kind of like the opposite of God? You probably wouldn't have said, oh, well, it's money. You'd be like, well, no, you can't serve both God and the devil. Or you can't serve both God and evil. You can't serve both God and sin. A lot of us wouldn't go money. But be, you know, if you grew up around church, if you grew up around the Bible, you're like, well, yeah, it's God and money. I know that. But if you didn't, that probably isn't the way you would go. Now, to help us clarify just a little bit what Jesus is trying to say here, we need to dial in on this word that the NIV translates as money. Uh, if you're old school, you grew up with King James, you, you, you remember this verse a little bit differently. Anybody remember what the King James says? It says, you cannot serve both God and? Good. We got some KGV people. All right. You can't serve both God and mammon. Now, if you didn't grow up around King James, you're like, what's a mammon, right? This word that we have translated as mammon in King James, money in NIV, it is a word that, that, is, that is meant to comprehensively capture all of your possessions, all of your earnings, all of your gains, all of your cash money, and all that it would buy. It's, it's not just the cash you have on hand. Instead, Jesus is saying, hey, listen, 
No one can serve two masters. You, you can't have two number ones, two, two, two number ones in your life. That's not going to work. You're either going to hate the one and love the other. You're going to be devoted to the one and despise the other. Listen, you can't serve both God and your money and your stuff and the stuff you hope your money will buy. It won't work that way. It's going to lead you to sowing for more. And you're not going to like the harvest that comes with this. Now, as Jesus is talking here, for some of us, he might be dinging our conscience a little bit. He might be kind of you know, scratching in a place we didn't, we didn't want anybody scratching at. And we, we can oftentimes, when Jesus does this, we can push back. Be like, okay, Jesus, all right, sure. You, you, you can't have two someones or two somethings that occupy the place of first importance in my life. I get that. But w- listen, I don't love my money. To which I think Jesus would go, okay, fine. Let me, let me push on this with, with you just a little bit more. But are you devoted to it? Well, what do you mean by devoted? Well, when it comes to money and stuff, do you have a strong attraction to it? When it comes to money and stuff, do you ever find yourself on a quest for more? When it comes to money and stuff, do you filter decisions through what's going to increase the amount of money and stuff you can get your hands on? When it comes to money and stuff, do money and stuff ever rival people for importance in your life? See, if that's what it means to be devoted money and stuff, maybe more of us would have to admit that maybe we are devoted to money and stuff. Or, or let, let me put the question this way. Has your desire for stuff ever caused you to do something stupid or something that you regret? And we're not calling anybody stupid, but you've ever done something that you'd look back and you go, okay, that was stupid. Or you look back and you go, I regret that. See, I bet you if we're answering this question honestly, all kinds of us would have to say yes when it comes to money and stuff. You know, like all, all kinds of us have been online and we made that, that impulsive buy and as soon as we, I mean, just shortly after we click buy now, we like, we regretted that, right? Or all kinds of us have, have made a purchase that we couldn't afford, Right? Or, or we, we bought something, we don't even know where it is now. And we think about what we paid for that thing that we can't afford, what we're paying for that thing that we can't afford, and what we're paying for that thing that we don't even know where it's located anymore. We're like, that was just dumb. Like, we're going, why did I do that? Well, like, well, what was I thinking? Here's what happened. We had a desire for that became a devotion to. We had a desire for some kind of money, some kind of stuff, and it became a devotion to. And in that moment, it mastered us. In that moment, we became enslaved. And then, and then, we, then we bought something. That we're like, why did I buy? I, I'm, I regret this purchase. Now we're living with a payment we don't want to make. Some of us, we're paying for stuff that's in landfills now, and we're still making payments on it. 
I'm like, that was nuts. See, Jesus knew that, that we are susceptible to this. And so better than 2,000 years ago, he warned us about this. He warned us about how a desire for can become a devotion to. How money and stuff, we can make a connection between the two at more. And when that happens, our money manages us. We become enslaved to our desires. We become enslaved to the things that we're devoted to. And Jesus knew happiness is not found in enslavement. And so Jesus, he warned us so that we would make a connection between money and happiness, but we would make it in a different place than more. Jesus wants us to make it at manage wants us to learn to become the kind of people who will manage our money rather than letting our man, money manage us. Now, if you've ever done this, all right, and you're going, okay, but like, why do I do this? With the time we have left, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a couple reasons for why this happens, dig into that just a little bit deeper, where that will take us, and then what we can do to make sure that we're managing our money rather than having our money manage us. So, a couple reasons why this happens to us. First one is this, discontentment. Discontentment is all about that thing inside of me that isn't happy with what I already have. Discontentment is that thing inside of me that is just, it's not happy with the perfectly good one that I already have. And we've talked about this before, but you know what fuels discontentment? Awareness. I become aware of what it is that you have or what they're selling over there that I, I don't have. And, and now I am not content with the perfectly good one that I already have. We have a whole industry that's built around this. We call it marketing. The whole job of marketing is to make you aware of what you don't have and what other people have and that you could have and make you discontent with the one that you do have so you go out there and buy theirs. And chances are, we've all fallen prey to this at some point in time or another. Like, have you ever been walking through a store and you see something on the shelf that prior to going into the store, you didn't even know they made those. You didn't even know you could buy one of those, right? And then there it is and you see it. And you go, I need that. Now think about that. 15 seconds ago, you didn't know it existed and now you have to have it. That's awareness fueling discontentment. That's, that, that's the first reason we wind up here in this place where we're making this connection between money and happiness at more. The second, the second reason that we do this is because of greed. Now, who are my greedy people in the room? Show of hands. <laughs> thank you. Thank you in the back there. I appreciate that. So here's, here's the thing. There are certain sins today, they are vogue. Like this is the cool thing to be doing right now. Greed is not one of them. Greed, you know, there was a time where greed was popular. You know, uh, Michael, uh, what's his last name? Um, somebody help me. Thank you, Michael Douglas. You know, like there was a time where greed was the thing, right? It's not popular anymore. Greed is also hard to see in the mirror. It, it is, and nobody wants to admit it. But when you understand what Jesus taught about greed, greed is maybe a little bit more applicable than we're comfortable with. 
See, another story that Jesus tells, he, he gives us, among other things, he gives us a working definition for greed. And we don't have time to, to, to share the whole story, but um, I'll summarize it for you. In the story, you've got an individual who's doing well financially. They've got a good job. They've, they've got money in the bank. They're affluent. They are doing well, right? And in the story, this individual who already has good money has this massive windfall of additional money that comes their way. And the rest of the whole story is about this man doing everything he can to make sure that not only does he keep what he had before the windfall, but he keeps all of the additional money that has come his way. And one of the reasons that Jesus tells that story is to give us a working definition for greed. And the working definition could be like this. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Greed is that thing inside of me that says, hey, if it's come my way, it must be for me. It's the, it's the assumption that it's all for my consumption. If you've ever had times where you've thought, hey, everything that's come to me is for me, greed could be an issue for you. If everything that comes, for you is, comes to you is for you, greed could be an issue for you. Now, here's the thing about greed. Greed's an appetite. And appetites are never satisfied. They're satiated for a time, but they're never satisfied. That's why you can leave here after church today, you can go and have lunch, you can overeat, and, and, but it's not like, okay, I, I'm, like, I'm never going to eat again. We say stupid things like that, but we come dinner, there we are, feeding the pie hole again, right? Appetites are satiated for a moment, but they're never satisfied. Greed is an appetite. Now, when you take discontentment fueled by awareness and you marry it with greed, ooh, <laughs> that'll take you places, right? Because you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be like, well, I, I, I don't have one. They've got one. I need to get one, and it's all for me. And so we buy, and we buy, and we buy, and we buy. And when you, when you run out of money, do you know what you do? You keep spending anyway. Because we're Americans. That's what we do in this country. We don't stop spending money just because the money's run out. How un-American is that? And so that leads to debt. And here's the thing we need to understand about debt. I want is always better than I owe. There's a tension with both. There's a tension with wanting and not having. And there's a tension with having and now owing on that thing. And the tension of owing in the payments, especially when you're struggling to make them, is always, always, always worse than the tension of wanting that thing in the first place. So you're like, how does this happen? It happens with awareness and greed, which leads to debt. Now, you think about, okay, we got... We got discontentment and awareness, and we've got greed, and we've got debt. Now, which of these three are going to make you happy? Discontentment? Every day I go to my mailbox, and the, close, the closer we get to Christmas, the more flyers that are in my mailbox every week, right? And I bring them all in, and I spread them all out on the dining room table, and I look at all the things that I don't have, that everybody else has that I need to get, and I just think, oh, the joy of the season, right? Or, or, or is greed going to make me happy? I just consume, consume, consume. 
It's all for me. This self-absorbed, me first, it's everything I get is for me, that's going to make me glad. Or is that going to make me happy? When I get the credit card bill in the mail, the shut-off notices, the, the, when my creditors call me like they're long-lost friends, oh, I love my life. Thank you, Jesus. Common sense tells me this doesn't make me happy. Making a connection between happiness and money at more causes me to sow this way in my life. And common sense tells me that's not going to produce a harvest of happiness. But here's the good news. It doesn't have to work like this. Again, Jesus understood this. It's one of the reasons that Jesus said to us, he said, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. Here's the good news. Money doesn't have to be the master. Money doesn't have to manage us. God can be our master. And when God is our master, God desires to come alongside of us and teach us how to manage our money so that our money doesn't manage us. God desires to teach us to sow in a different direction. Now, the scriptures have all kinds of things to say about what it looks like to sow in a different direction. We don't have time to unpack all of that today. We could spend a whole series unpacking the biblical wisdom for how to sow in a different direction. I'm going to summarize it for you in three simple words. We'll throw them all on the screen at the same time. Give, save, live. I was going to summarize all the biblical wisdom on what it looks like to sow in such a way where we're making the connection between money and happiness and manage. It'd be give, save, live. The Bible would say to us, hey, every time you get some money, give some of it away. It's the way you say to your money, you're not my master. You're not the boss of me. You don't believe me? Watch this. I'm going to give some of you away. Take that. You will not make a connection between happiness and discontentment. There's not enough money to buy you everything you don't have. You will make a connection between happiness and give. The same pleasure centers that light up in your brain for things like food and sex, those same pleasure centers light up when you and I give. Happy people give. The Bible says every time you get some money, give some of it away. The Bible says, hey, every time you get some money, save some of it. Take some of it and put it in the bank. Listen, Greed, you're not going to find happiness with greed. There's no amount of money that will satisfy that appetite. But there's a connection between happiness and saving. And here's why. Money in the bank can lead to peace of mind. Money in the bank oftentimes will lead to peace of mind. Not that long ago I had somebody text me 
It was somebody who grew up around church where, you know, a church where they were saying, hey, you should always have three to six months, you should, you should have an emergency fund, three to six months of operating expenses in the bank. And the person texted me, and for the first time in their life, they had a fully funded emergency fund. And they were like, now I understand why they were forever pushing that. Ooh, this is peace of mind. If something happens, we're covered. Bible says, give some, save some, and then live on the rest. You know what you do when you live on the rest? You don't spend more money than you have left. Crazy idea in our world today, I know, right? But it means this is how much is left, this is how much we live on. When I spend money I don't have, I have debt. And the borrower is slave to the lender. There's no happiness to be found in enslavement. When I live on what's left, I'm free. And there's happiness to be found in freedom. So I would argue there's a connection. There's a connection between money and happiness. It's not found here and more. When I sow in this direction, it leads to a harvest of destruction. The, ha- the, the connection between money and happiness, it's found in manage. And when I learn to manage my money rather than letting my money, my money manage me, when I sow in this direction faithfully over time, because the, again, there's no silver bullet, there's no quick fix, there's no on-demand drive-through instant happiness. When I faithfully sow in this direction over time, it leads to a harvest of life. So the application is really very simple. If this is how I've been sowing, stop it. (laughs) Stop doing this before the harvest comes in. And if I haven't started sowing this way, I need to start now. And if I've been sowing this way, and I'm tempted to stop. Don't do it. Because the, the, the promise of the law of the harvest is, if you will be faithful, the harvest of life will eventually come. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you just for the wisdom of Jesus and what he would say to us about just very applicable things for our lives. Father, for those of us who have been sowing in the wrong direction and maybe we're just figuring that out today, or we've known that we've been sowing in the wrong direction, but we needed you to put your finger on that. Father, help us please to stop it and to sow in the right direction. Father, for those of us who have been sowing in the right direction or have just started that and we're we're tempted to give up because we're not seeing results fast enough, Father, we just pray for for grace and for commitment to sow in a direction that will bring us life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.